Super excited again today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the amazing book of Joshua. Joshua, what it really is, it's a manual on how to walk with God. A manual on how to walk with God. So that's what we're going to look at today. The title of the message is The Promised Life. Uh, we're going to unpack that from Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapters 1 through 5 was a preparation for crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land. Now we've entered into the promised land, chapter 6 through 12, or how to deal with the enemy, how to defeat the enemy God's way. And so this is the first actual battle that they're going to face, Jericho. And between uh, the children of Israel and the promised land stands Jericho, an obstacle that they had to overcome, that they had to defeat if they were going to experience the promised land. Jericho, by the way, was considered impossible to defeat. It was an impressive uh, fortress, uh, intimidating, had never been defeated. No war had they, had they ever lost there. So here you have the children of Israel, ragtag group of people, not some finely tuned military machine. They are just figuring out how to fight. They're not Joshua, but his followers there. So Jericho now is in lockdown mode. They know the children of Israel are about 2.5 million former slaves, 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're going to besiege Jericho. So with that, we're going to read Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. So if you are able to stand to your feet, I want to invite you to stand to your feet for the public reading and honoring of God's word. I'm going to read the first verse. You'll read verse 2, 4, and then verse 16. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around town seven times. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Thank you. You may be seated. Well done. And I especially enjoyed all the emphasis on shout. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> so now God's people are on the border of Jericho, a fortified city on every side. The children of Israel cannot land in the promised land unless they conquer Jericho. So what does this have to do with my life? We're going to see today it has everything to do with your life that this story really overlaps with your story and your Christ-following journey if you're a Christ follower. If you're new to Christ and you're not, you're going to see what the Christ-following life would look like and what it would mean if you actually became a Christ follower. So the promised land is a picture of the promised life or the Christian life. So John 10.10 says, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life in the full. And so what we're going to look at is three critical essentials to the promised life or the Christian life. Number one is 
In your journey, it's all about God's provision for you and not your own. Number two, we're going to look at, it's all about God's plan and not your own. And number three, we're going to look at, it is all about God's power and not your own. So let's look at Joshua chapter one, beginning in verse six. If you want to have your eyes make contact with the scripture, it says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. So the scene here is Jericho knows, they know the children of Israel are going to attack. 2.5 million Hebrews came out of Egypt and the people of Jericho, they heard all about the power of God there. So they've shut the gates, they've locked the gates. Now nobody's going in, nobody's going out. There's the massive walls there of Jericho. Armed guards there are on the perimeter on top with their bow and arrows, with their spears, ready to defend the city. Jericho is considered unconquerable. Jericho had never been defeated in its history ever. Completely undefeated here. Joshua saw this as an absolute impossibility before him. The city was shut up, and God says in verse 2, but the Lord, that is the man with the sword, the commander, the Lord's army from last week, but the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Joshua, its king and all his strong warriors. Notice he says, I've given you. Not I'm going to give you, not a future thing, but I have now given you, past tense, the Jericho is already defeated. You have the victory before you ever attack Jericho. So what does this story have to do with my life? Has everything to do with your life and at least these three things that we're going to talk to. The promised life, number one, the Christian life is about this. His provision and not yours. Did the walls of Jericho fall down because when they shouted, they did it right with the right pitch it resonated through the walls of Jericho and somehow it loosened all the stones and the walls came tumbling down. And so God's provision, here's what it looked like. I've given you Jericho. I've done everything you need. Uh, you're capturing Jericho not by your own might, not by your own military st strategy, but because I am the one whole, whole, handing them over to you. Jericho might be a formidable fortress, but I've already given you the city. Jericho is already yours. I've handed Jericho over to you. I've signed off on the deal. It's a done deal. I've already made it happen. It's just a matter of time here, and the walls of Jericho are coming down. So what does it have to do with me? Everything. Because listen, friends, this incredible story, it's all about God's provision. What does that look like in your life? If you're here today as a Christ follower, you're not here today because of your provision. You're here today because of God's provision. You're here today because nothing you have done. Like you've added nothing to it. But one thing I'll mention in a moment. See, but Christ has added everything to your being here. Everything that you need. The scripture says this, not Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his mercy, he's done it. He saved us. And so he stepped into the brokenness of your story. And on the cross, he took upon himself all of your sin. He gave you forgiveness. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. He did all the work here. So being a Christ follower has nothing about you. 
Nothing about your provision. Nothing about you waving the good flag of everything that you've done there. See, the understanding is that we receive grace, we receive forgiveness, but God does all the work from the beginning to the end here. Do we have any basketball fans in the house today? Any basketball fans? Okay, a few. So you've heard of him. Some of you have heard of Michael Jordan. Come on, even if you're not a basketball, you've heard of Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan, considered by many the greatest basketball player of all time. Well, in Michael's greatest game of the greatest player of all time against the Cleveland Cavaliers, 1990, not that I care about sports at all, but he scored 69 points, 18 rebounds, shot 62% from the field. And after the game, as you could imagine, the reporters were in awe. Where's Michael Jordan? Where's Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan was so exhausted that he left. There's no Michael Jordan to interview. There's only a ragtag rookie named Stacy King that was there. So let's interview Stacy. Stacy's stat line was one point the entire game. Lots of mess ups. One point. And so they asked, they asked Stacy, they said, Hey Stacy, how did it feel to be a part of the most epic performance perhaps ever by Michael Jordan? Stacy here said this. He said, Oh, I'll never forget this night. He said, The night that Michael Jordan and I went off for 70 points. <laughs> Stacy King was smart enough to get in on what MJ had done, riding his coattails, okay, riding, trying to get in on the great basketball offering uh, and the provision of MJ. So when we would be wise to get in on the offering of Christ, our commander, listen, friends, in our relationship with Jesus, we didn't even bring one point to the table. I didn't bring one point. All I brought was my brokenness and my sin. See, the promised life, friends, the Christian life, all about his provision, not ours. All I brought is all of my sinfulness, all of my brokenness, all of my pride, all of my mess-ups. That's all I brought. But the commander came here to call me to himself. And not with sword, but with a cross, he took all of my sin upon himself. And the only thing, William Temple said this, the great theologian, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's all we contribute, friends, the sin that makes it necessary. So Jesus, his part in our story, it's his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, all of him and none of us. So see, for every Christ follower, it's all about his provision and not yours. Verse 3, for you and the fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. So watch, God has a plan. The plan didn't fit anybody else's plan, but God also had a plan, a picture of the Christian life. So Joshua says to the plan, yes, sir. Though it made no sense. Though as a military general, he probably, remember Exodus 17, fighting the Amalekites there in the Valley of Rephidim. And Moses is on the mountaintop and his hands were raised. They would win. So he's a military guy. He understands all of that. So he must have been thinking, I don't know what they're thinking, but yes, sir. But that doesn't make sense. Sounds like a crazy plan of war to me. Actually kind of sounds stupid to me there. 
And so the, God tells the children of Israel, hey, I want you to go for six days, one lap around the city there on the seventh day, go six times, stay, keep your mouth shut for the 12 days on the 13th. Everybody shout as loud as you can. The walls are going to come tumbling down. Friends, why 12 laps? Why 12 laps with nothing happening? How many people know after one time, maybe two, nine acres, hour and a half to go around it, seeing the walls, imagine yourself seeing the walls, you kind of get an idea of what it's like and whether or not we could overtake Jericho. Do you need a second and a third time to sort it out? Really? You'd just be bored out of your mind. And so you know it's impenetrable. You know it's beyond your ability to overcome the walls of Jericho. So verse 4 says this. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. What is that all about? And on the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. How many people are wondering, like, what do the horns have to do? They looked like this here. This is a real original horn from Israel. It was like this. They could skillfully blow the horns. I can't do that. But I would have been thinking to myself, like, what's the deal with the horns? Like, do they have heat seeking missiles like come out of the horns? Or are they gonna are they like undercover? You know, maybe there's like poisonous darts they're gonna shoot at people. You know, you're, you're just wondering, like, what, what what was this all about here? And so when you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. And so this actually is known as a shofar called a shofar, Uh, what it is in that culture, all the Hebrews knew that when the the horn was blown, what that was was a call to worship. It was a call to gather God's people. It was a call to atonement. On the great day of atonement, what happened was, is that when, when a lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people, all the priests would blow the shofar, announcing that The sins of the people had been forgiven. The lamb had taken away their sin there. And as they blew it, it was clear to the people it was time to praise God, to praise Yahweh. And so many people believe, many Bible scholars believe that this was God's way day after day after day after day. It also announced judgment. The judgment was coming. This is their opportunity that they're worshiping God Almighty here. They could turn to God like Rahab the prostitute did, that it wasn't just for her. So it was, there's more to it than what you just read in verse 5 there. So next I want us to see this, though, is that the promised life, the Christian life, it's not just God's provision. It also is God's plan, not our plan. God gave Joshua clear instructions. There was no room for military tactics. All military plans are off the table. Sometimes God's plan, friends, does it always make sense? Does it always make sense? Does God's plan? No, it it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense all the time here. So can you imagine, though, being in the army? And they're scoping out the city. They're figuring out their military uh, plan, strategy. They're looking for weakness and all that. And then Joshua comes out, like with a whiteboard. And he says, hey, team, uh, this is what we're going to do. And here's here's our strategy, straight, straight from God. What's your, you're not going to need any of your weapons. Put your weapons away. I said, you're not going to need your weapons there. We're not going to be using weapons in this battle. 
kind of battle is this. General Joshua is laying out the plans there. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to march around the city. What? We're going to march around the city six times. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around the city six more times. And people are thinking, what kind of military strategy is that? Like the military strategy is marching, blowing horns, and shouting. Like, what's with that? And so there's no talk of soldiers. There's no talk of secret weapons. There's no talk of spears or sieges or strategy. None of that. Just marching and blowing horns and shouting here. Friends, how unorthodox is that? Come on, somebody. How unorthodox is that? There's no arrows to be shot at the, the walls there. There's no battering rams to climb up the wall here. And so and we're talking about Jericho, which has never been defeated, the mighty fortress in all of history here. From a strategic viewpoint, it just sounds out there from a human standpoint, makes no sense. From a military standpoint, who knows what they're doing? From a pure logic standpoint, it's completely illogical. The strategy then, look at friends, think about it. The strategy is on day seven, stroll around the city seven times and then shout. That's it. God's plan sometimes doesn't make sense though. So, so the Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in who, what, your military strategy or trust in who you can't see, the Lord, trust in what God has said, Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not into your own military strategy understanding. Lean not into your own understanding, which frankly, friends, that's how we live. Always Google, you know, lean to your own understanding that says, look, you need to, to go to God. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledging him, bringing him into the equation, and he'll direct your path, which is the path that we just talked about here. So God's plan not our plan doesn't always make sense. For example, to forgive. You mean when they've wronged me and all they did to me? If you only know what they did to me and I'm to forgive them? Sounds crazy to me. God's plans, not always our plans. And then sometimes uh, you feel like you've been betrayed and you want to seek revenge. Is it within you that you want to seek revenge? But crazy... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You're to give it over to God and you don't have to work revenge? Sounds crazy. Well, what about the Bible would say to wait for intimacy till you're married? Culture would say, you're crazy. God says, it's my way, though it doesn't make sense in culture. The Bible says to be generous, to give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down and shaken together, Will God give to you? And so you can't ever outgive God. So the Bible says, be generous. People think, man, if, that makes no sense at all. I'm to give. And God is saying, I will actually be better off if I give than I keep it all to myself. That sounds crazy. His ways are higher than our ways, friends. His plan doesn't always make sense to you. So I'd like you to consider this. And now I'm going to press in on you personally. I'm going to press in on your life personally. And so what God wants for you, friends, is so much better than what you want for yourself. What God wants for you is so much better than what you want for yourself. God's way is so much more life-giving, so much more fulfilling, so much more 
meaningful to you, so filled with blessing, then why would you settle for your plan when you can have God's plan? But you're not going to experience the fullness of God's plan until you say, God, I don't want what I want because we do. I want what you want. I want your plan. I'm submitting myself to your plan. So it's his plan, not ours. Verse 6. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant. That means symbolic of the Lord's presence. And assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying the ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town. The armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. So Joshua says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go with God's plan. Imagine how much faith that took. Because what if it didn't work? He's a military guy. He's trained to think like, like a mil- military strategy, and he's throwing all that away. He's going with God's plan. And then to communicate that, and what if it didn't work? Joshua was, was an example of faith here. So he's going with Jericho is ours, and, I'm, and I heard from the Lord, and so we're going to march around the city once a day for six days, and then six times the seventh day. Then we're going to shout. We're going to blow the horns, and it's going to be over, baby. It's going to be over. So can you imagine, though, the faith that he had as he's aligning himself with what God has said? And friends, that is faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I have given you Jericho. He couldn't see that, but yet he believed God. And so verse 8, And after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord covenant followed them. So each day the ram's horns are blown. Uh, So you have this great processional, 2.5 million former slaves there, and they're all being silent. Uh, uh, A proclamation there, a call to worship is being made. Judgment is coming. Verse 14. On the second day, they marched around the town once, and they returned to the camp. They followed the pattern for six days. Now think about this. Six days repeating the same thing. Are they being obedient to what God had said? Are they being obedient? Yeah. They're following what God had said. Sometimes is it boring to do what God has said? Was it boring to them? Yeah, you know it was boring. Yeah, it was boring. Come on, somebody. It was boring. Six times. Come on, it's boring. So imagine. It's the same thing. I've been, I've been here uh, yesterday, the day after, the day after. And so imagine the people. Imagine the people like yeah, with Joshua. Hey, Joshua, like, what in the heck's going on? Like, what's up with this marching around Jericho anyways? And then the second day, hey, Joshua, like, this is really getting old. Like, we did this yesterday, and we're taking another lap around the walled city. (sighs) Day three, Joshua, we're tired. How many people in here today are going to pull that one? Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm tired. You know, I would say, Joshua, I'm ready to tap out, dude. But uh, anyway, so, hey, Joshua, day four, what are we waiting for? Like, are we waiting for Christmas? I mean, Joshua, what's the deal? We're tired of taking laps, Joshua. Day five, I would be like, who would agree with me that Joshua is a whack job? I mean, this guy's out there. We can't stand him. Where is he taking us? In fact, we're rating this experience. I'm giving it a one-star experience, okay? Maybe zero. So, anyway, then day six, uh, why... Why are we still doing this after five days? Let's blow this place. We've seen enough of the walls. The promised life, friends, is all about obedience, and here it is. 
The promised life, the Christian life is this. Now listen to me. Is this. Hear God's voice. That's what they did. Do what he says. That's it right there. We could be done right now and go home, but we're not. Hear God's voice. Hear God's voice. Do what he says. That's what they did. Verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around seven times. The seventh time around, as the priest sounded the long blast of the horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, the Lord has given you the town. Now notice this, picture of the Christian life. They couldn't stay back at camp. Every day they had to get up. Listen to me, somebody. Every day they had to get up. Every day they had to do something. They couldn't stand on the head. They couldn't just believe. They couldn't just pray. They had to walk by faith. Faith, you can see faith. James said this, show me your faith by your works. They come to expression. They manifest. They're visible. That's what happened here. The people had to step in to the Red Red Sea. They had to step into the Jordan River. They had to step into Jericho. Then they had to step out here. So they had to walk daily, obey God daily, day after day after day after day. Don't, don't, doesn't matter how boring it is there. They walked by faith and not by sight. They believed God. They followed his word. They did something here. God's plan, not ours. Remember last week in Joshua chapter 5, he encountered the commander of the Lord's army, and he said to him when he saw him, he said, are you for me or are you against me? And the commander of the Lord's army said, neither. That's the wrong question. I don't play that game. We play the, well, we play the game with God. We do. Watch. We do. We say, Lord, are you for me? Are you, are you on my side, Lord? Would you bless my plan? Would you bless my plan, Lord? And rather than him being the commander of the Lord's army, we treat him like he's the consultant. Lord, I'd like to consult with you about my plans. And here's, here's why we should do our, our plans rather than recognize, no, he's the commander over you. He doesn't play those games. See, the passage here is not about us recruiting God to our plans because we can be an expert at that. We can be an expert at that, friends, here. It's about us bowing our knee to God's plans for us. The Christian life is about God's plans, not your plans. So some of you are here saying like, yeah, but, but I, like, I like Jesus to be the consultant. I would love that. I'm good at planning. You, you know, I'm really, really good at planning. I've set my life plans out, set my retirement plans out. I'm in my 20s. I've made my plans. I know what I'm going to do in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s, and when I retire here. And I, and I know Jesus is God and all that, and yeah, I'll, I'll do church, but I want to make my plan at the end of the day. No, friends. The Christian life is not you doing your plan. It's you doing God's plan for your life. And so you see, why? Because your plans are never as good as God's plans. He knows the end from the beginning, and so God's plans are always better. So the question I have for you today is this, and here's your homework assignment. Where are you trying to get God to join your plan? Where in your life are you doing that? 
Have I done it? Absolutely. I think I'm pretty good at it. See, I've done it in so many dimensions of life. How about your career where you say, God, this is what I want to do. Hook me up. God, bless me. This is what I want to do, this career that I want. What about uh, God, uh, I see my life and how it's unfolding in this season of life. I want you to bless it. Maybe, God, this is my educational plan. Here's my plan for school. Here's my plan for career. Here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to live. Here's what I want my life to look like. What about, what about God's plan? Where does God's plan come into it? Here's what I want to do when I retire. What, retire? Retired friends, I just want to say that I believe that the most strategic opportunity in all of your lifetime is to press into God's plan for your life when you retire. What more strategic time is there to dream God's dreams for your life? You ask God to drop his dream that you would pursue that. Pursue the story that God wants to write for your life rather than your own story that you want to write for your life. See, at times, I started to make plans for my family too. I made plans for, for my kids. I had my sons when he was five, six, seven. I had his life figured out when he was 30 to be a professional soccer player, one of them. I'm dead serious. I had plans for him to go to Europe. I had Brazelton Academy in Florida. I had the whole thing laid out. I had his plans made. I had plans for my other son. Uh, I don't want to bore you with the details of that, but I had plans for another son, and I would try to show him how to do things and think that perhaps he would want to do it. Didn't happen here. And so, but uh, listen to me, friends. When you give him your life, you give him your sin, you're giving him your life. And so now your life is his life. Think about it. His agenda, his way, his will, his plans, not your plans. So when we give him our lives, he's no longer the consultant. As the commander from the beginning, we need to recognize this, that his plans for our lives, they're so much better. They're so much better, so much more fulfilling, so much more purpose, so much more life-giving. Why would you settle for your own plans when God's plan is so much better? Will you surrender your life, friends, and will you bow your knee to his plan for your life. Verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. All right, number three. Uh, what do you see in this story? We see the Christian life is all about God's provision, all about God's plan, and all about God's power. It's all about God's power here. His power, God's power, not ours. The promised life, living the life, is about God's power. I will send the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, power to reside within you so you can live the Christian life. So the children of Israel, did they knock down the walled city on their own? No, friends. Did it happen by human ability? Absolutely not. Did victory come about because they were... They were trying harder and figuring it out or because they trusted in the Almighty. See, the destruction of, of the Jericho was something in antiquity of epic proportions. But why? 
The Christian life, the promised life, is about God keeping his promise, about God giving you his power. Remember Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, I have given you the land. My power is going to get you through to the land. Did the marching somehow, 2.5 million, you know, did they march, you know, really strong? Did that somehow destabilize the stones of the wall here and set it up? Did the walls collapse because they just sang at the right decibel level all together and something happened there? No, did the walls come down because of the power of the shouts? None of the above. The walls came down because of the power of the army of the commander of the Lord. But the shouts show that God's people were trying to trust him because when it didn't make sense, they still shouted out, friends, you have to get, very, get clarity that the Christian life doesn't always make sense. But you invite him to move in power in your life, in your circumstance. Because how often do you feel powerless? Come on. How often I feel powerless. So the Bible tells a story of many people like you who walked faithfully with God and seemingly face hopeless situations. And I'm going to close with this. People like Joshua who were betrayed by his brothers, left in a pit to die, left in prison there to rot, accused of rape, put in prison, a hopeless situation. People like Moses, whose back was against the wall, the most powerful military force in all the planet, was charging from the rear. 2.5 million slaves didn't know what in the heck they were doing. Mountains on both sides and the Red Sea in front of them. It was hopeless, friends. People like Gideon whittled down his crew to his team to 300, going to face 300,000, a hopeless situation. People like David there, who was staring across the Valley of Elah at the military machine known as Goliath, standing there with five smooth stones in no military armor. It was slaughter waiting to happen, a hopeless situation. Daniel had for his roommate a lion in the lion's den. Friends, how much more of a hopeless situation can you have? I was there in Joppa 10 days ago where Jonah, there was swallowed, it was in the belly of a great fish. How hopeless was that? Peter was a coward. Paul was imprisoned. The 5,000 had no food. Lazarus was dead. Timothy was too young and too timid. Sarah was too old and had no children. The prodigal was left in the pig's pen. The rebellious son abandoned his family. The walls of Jericho came tumbling or were too strong. Jesus hung on a cross, bled out and died and was buried in a tomb. And Peter said, I know when a good thing is over. I'm going fishing. And the Bible says that the disciples all followed him. And when everybody was ready to close the book on these stories, and the end had come, and it appeared like it was game over. When all options were exhausted, when the circumstances could not get any worse, when time was running out, and all hope was exhausted and seemed lost, God's power showed up in their story. You see, friends, the Christian life, 
It's not about your power, but about his. Joseph went from the pit to the pinnacle of power as vice president. The Red Sea parted. Gideon won without lifting a weapon. Goliath's head showed up on a platter. Daniel emerged from the lion's den. Nineveh repented. Peter preached at Pentecost. Paul triumphed in life. A happy meal fed the 5,000. Lazarus was raised to life. Timothy launched a church. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. Sarah gave birth to a son. A rebellious son received a royal welcome by his father. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down and the tomb is empty. The resurrection is real. Jesus is alive and sin and death are defeated. And with God, what seems is a hopeless situation is not only possible, but it's probable. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. And he who promised is faithful, was faithful, and will always be faithful. The Christian life, not about God's power, but about ours. Not about, in the journey, our plan, but his. Not about, all make away our provision, but his. Friends, this is a Christian pilgrimage. This is the Christian life, fresh from the pages of Joshua chapter 6.